We serve a God of abundance, yet you're still living paycheck to paycheck. We serve a God of order, yet your house always seems to be a mess. You feel unappreciated and overwhelmed just trying to keep up. Does the noise of life drown out the voice of God? Hi, my name is Gina Morton, a Catholic wife, mom, and declutter coach. Welcome to Pruning to Prosper, the podcast where we talk about all the practical things to run your home smoothly. Clutter, money, mindset, and yes, everyone still wants to eat. So we'll talk about that too. That nagging in your heart is God telling you he has more for you than just trying to keep up. If you're ready to get uncomfortable, get brave, and see what you can do, then grab your garden shears because you're about to prune away the stuff so you can prosper into the woman God has called you to be. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Pruning to Prosper. I'm your host, Gina Morton, and today we have a very special episode. I have Christy Walker on the episode today, and she is uh, joining us from the West Coast, and she is the host of the Catholic Sobriety Coach podcast. And so I always love listening to other podcasts, and I'm not sure how I found Christy, but I am so glad I found you. And I think that your message is going to resonate with a lot of the women out there that um, also tune into my podcast. So thank you so much for your time today. And do you just want to give us a little brief, like where you're coming from, your family? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So I'm Christy and I am a joyful Catholic. My husband, Chris, and I have been married for 19 years and we have twins that are, they'll be 17 in May. They're boys. And we have a 10 year old boy as well. And he'll, so he'll be 11 in April. So we're busy. We're in the thick of it with teenagers and our preteen, lots of sports and activities. So it's a very fun season of life. We live in the Pacific Northwest in a very unchurched area, (laughs) really close to Portland, Oregon. Uh, So we have a lot of work to do as a family and um, we love our parish. We're very involved. I've been co-leading a Bible study at my parish for about this is our seventh year and I love it so much. And I feel like it's a women's Bible study. So I kind of feel like that is something that has helped me and prompted me to do the work that I'm doing now. So it's, I love looking back and seeing all those holy breadcrumbs that the Lord has left for me to guide me to where he wants me and who he wants me to serve. So yeah, my my podcast that you mentioned, it's the Catholic Sobriety Podcast, and I just celebrated my one-year anniversary, and it's starting to grow and reach more women, and I'm just so grateful, um, yeah, for the ability to do that and all the technology we have so that we can, so I can talk to you, <laughs> and we can like, get in touch with other Catholics and other businesses and ministries. I know. It's wonderful, this medium. Um, so- was this your background? Like, did you go to school for, to be a counselor or how did you come? I have so many questions. How, <laughs> what is the path that led you to being the, uh, like a sobriety coach? I'd never even heard of this until I heard your podcast. Yeah. So my journey is, uh, it's a long and twisted journey, but I am, um, I was, I'm a cradle Catholic. I was raised Catholic, went to probably about six years of Catholic school, Um, I come from a family, a single parent family home and, um, 
yeah. So I, I started drinking. I didn't have a lot of supervision, although my mom was a great mom and she, uh, if she had known a glimpse of anything I had been doing, she would have put a stop to it <laughs> immediately, but you know, she could only do so much, uh, on her own. And so I began drinking at the age, uh, probably like freshman or sophomore year of high school. The first time that I drank, I drank to get drunk. And I don't think I, I cannot even tell you of one occasion when I only had like one thing to drink or a couple of things. Like I've never been able to moderate. And I just, from the age of whatever, 15 till the age of 23, I just, um, yeah, kind of abused my body with alcohol, uh, not eating well. I was, um, I did not value as of my body as a temple of the Holy Spirit. I kind of got away from church, although I always identified myself as a Catholic. Um, but I certainly was only going Christmas, Easter, Mother's Day, if I wasn't too hungover <laughs> or late to go. Um, I did get sober at the age of 23. I just, I'll be celebrating in February, my 27th year of sobriety. I, that, um, you know, it, there's a lot of trial and error with that. And so I did try outpatient treatment and did not, um, <laughs> I like looked around the room and I was like, I am not like any of these people. They had families, they had lost jobs, they were all older. And I was the youngest person in that particular room. I didn't relate to anything that they were saying, they were saying, but my roommate and my boss had basically told me, like, if you don't get help, you're going to um, you not have a place to live and not have a job. So I did it just to kind of pacify everyone. Uh, and, you know, my drinking buddies even were like, Christy, you have a problem. And, you know, your drinking buddies like to drink with you. So <laughs> if your drinking buddies are telling you you have a problem, you probably have a pretty big problem. And so I did outpatient treatment. I think I might've got 90 days sobriety. I'm not really sure. I would still go out with my friends and basically do whatever I normally did. And <laughs> just like sit in the bar and like glare at everyone for <laughs> drinking. And I wasn't drinking and thinking about how much I had given up. And so as soon as the outpatient treatment was over, I went back out drinking Thankfully, it didn't last that long, maybe a few months. And I just resolved that if I didn't get help, I probably was not going to live the life that I desired. I mean, I really thought I had screwed all that up anyway. The only thing I'd ever wanted to be was a wife and a mom. Like if anybody asked me what I wanted to be, it was a wife and a mom. And growing up in the years of the 80s and women power and girl power and all of that were told, no, you should want a profession and you should want education and you should want success. And that is not what I wanted. I just wanted to be a wife and a mom. So I pretty much thought that I had screwed that up. But there's so much grace and God was with me the whole time. And I feel like that was the hope burning inside me that kept me going and moving forward. And so one day, well, it was February, in February of 1997, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going to drink 
and this is going to be my last day. And so I went and got probably Zima because that was what I drank and some cheap beer <laughs> and drank myself into my last blackout. And when I woke up, I um, said, okay, this is it. I'm not doing this again. And later I told my mom, she knew that I was struggling because there was some other stuff that had happened and she knew I was struggling. So I told her, I'm like, I drink, I'm done. I'm not doing this again. And she would, she was like, oh my gosh, Christy, do you know what day that is? And I was like, no. And she said, that's the 10 year anniversary of your grandma's passing. Like she was interceding for you. And so I think knowing that just, and how close my grandma and I were, I think that that just was like, well, I don't, I don't want to mess this up. Like, you know, this is so important to me, to my family. And I can tell that she you know, is with me and guiding me. And so there was that. And then, so I was sober for a very, very long time, ups and downs, roller coasters, all of these things. But I didn't really start, like my faith journey was slow. Like it was a slow roll. So I desired to be part of the church and to be uh, back in communion with the church. I just didn't know how to do it. And I thought I had really screwed things up so bad that I didn't belong in the Catholic church. I didn't feel like I was good enough. So I would go to other churches. Um, I ended up at a Baptist church because one of the ladies that I worked with was like, you need God, <laughs> like you need to get back to church. And she was a very maternal a figure for me. I loved her very much. And so I was like, okay, I'll go. So one of my friends and I from work, we went, we loved it. It was great Bible teaching. I had never heard some of the things and it got me really interested uh, in scripture. There was of course, lots of worship music. It was kind of like a Christian rock concert <laughs> when, when mm -hmm. I would go. The people there were so kind. There were ministries all over and I was like, I think that this is home. Like, I think this, you know, I could see myself getting married, my kids going off to the Sunday school rooms and and all of that. But then one day it was like communion Sunday. I didn't know what that was. And they passed like literal <laughs> saltine crackers, like through the through the uh, chairs. And we and I was like, what is this? And my friend was raised Catholic also, but had kind of fallen away. And we were both looking at it like, I don't know. So we each took one. And then this like silver tray with like these little vials of like a red liquid were in it. And I didn't take one because I'm like, that's probably wine. I, you know, growing up in the church, we obviously have wine that's turned into the blood of Christ. So I was like, well, I'm not taking that. And she took it and she's like, no, it's grape juice. And I was like, that's weird. So I like ate my cracker and did all this stuff. Anyway, long story short, I left there and I was like, I cannot go back. I can never go back. Like I did, I couldn't articulate it. I couldn't tell you why. I mean, why it was the Holy Spirit, but I just was like, this isn't right. And I knew I needed to get back to the church, to the Catholic church. So I ended up meeting my husband and I'm like sober this whole time. And we, I just wasn't really doing anything with it. I went to AA for two years. I stopped going um, for a variety of reasons, but I maintained my sobriety. I basically just told people as I wanted to, 
but I didn't make a big deal about it. I had thought about going back to school and becoming an addiction counselor, but I just was like, I had a job, a good job. I worked in the jewelry industry and I was like, I just don't really want to do that um, right now. And so I didn't. And then um, I met my husband, we had our twins and I, that's kind of, right. That's kind of like when people start thinking about their faith again, because now they have these little humans that they're trying to raise to be good people. And um, we had trouble conceiving. And I remember crying in the shower after another negative pregnancy test and just telling the Lord, like, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but if you will allow me to conceive and become a mother, which is like my biggest desire, I promise you that I will raise my children to know and love and serve you. And I have no idea how I'm going to do that because I'm not very good at that right now, but I know that you will help me and you will guide me. And um, yeah, so then we were blessed with twins. I tell people we prayed so hard I got <laughs> two, but I don't think <laughs> that's probably not how it went. But um, yeah, so we had twins. It was such a blessing. And then I was like, well, we have to get them baptized. And then, you know, the deacon was like, this is very serious. It wasn't just like checking off a box, which is kind of what I, I think that's just what I had in my head. Like, okay. And then they get baptized. Okay. And then they do their reconciliation and first communion. You know, I, that's how I saw it. But thankfully the church that we were at, which I wasn't a regular attender at, my mom was, it was her parish. Um, He told us, you know, like, this is very serious. You're promising to raise your children in the faith to instruct them, you know, and all of those very, very important things that we should know before we get our children baptized and how serious our responsibility as Christian parents is. And that just kind of stuck with my husband and I, and we started, um, yeah, we just kind of, it was a slow roll of God working on our hearts. We came back to the church, our kids, um, we were able to send them to a uh, Catholic school at that time, as we were doing that, we started attending church regularly. My husband was baptized Catholic, but not raised really um, in any faith, but definitely raised to love the Lord and, and all of that. And one day he was like, okay, I think I want to become Catholic. And I had hoped that he would, but I wasn't going to push it or say anything. He always said, like, I'll go to church with you just so that the boys know, like, they're not like, why is dad just sitting at home watching football? We have to go to church. Like, he didn't want that to happen. So he's like, I'll go with you. But I didn't really think that he would come into full communion of the faith. And he did. And that was such a huge blessing. And then we had our, our youngest son, and that was a blessing. And then all this time, I wanted to stay home with my boys. We thought that I was going to go back to work after I had them. I didn't want to. It was, first of all, financially ridiculous for me to come back to work because I would have basically been just working to pay somebody to raise my kids. Mm -hmm. So I um, quit my job, but then you know, it was really hard. It was during the recession. My husband's hours got super cut and it was really a really, really hard time, but, um, it taught us a lot and we persevered and God provided and our families were very helpful. And so I've 
always been able to stay home with our, our boys, but I always had this desire on my heart to have a business, like to do something. And so I started, and I've always wanted to write. So I started writing for blogs, like parenting blogs, and then jewelry blogs, because I had a jewelry background. I started my, a digital marketing company, essentially, and um, start, it started as blogs, but then social media was really kicking up steam. And Facebook came on the scene and people were like, you can use this Facebook for business. And I was like, what? And so it was really interesting to me. And so I learned a lot. I started working with funeral homes, which is a whole nother crazy story. So basically in my, during my digital marketing, which I still have uh, some very dear clients that I've had for a long time. Um, it's mainly jewelers and funeral homes, which is a funny combination, but it's, <laughs> it's what God brought me. And then I started working, I kind of, my digital marketing company was kind of stagnant, but I had kept, kind of felt a pull to want to do something. Like I felt God calling me to something to do really step out in faith. And I don't, I don't know. I started like blogs. I joined a Catholic business group. I just, I was trying all these things and I'm like, does he want me to write things? Does he want me to do a devotional? Does I didn't know it was so confusing. And then in my digital marketing business, I wanted to grow it, but it was just like pretty much the same, but I wasn't really like trying to grow it. And I was like, okay, I need to do something. So I started working with a business coach, Catholic business coach. And the more I worked with her, we were trying things with my digital marketing business. And I was like, this is not, this is not what I want to do. This is not what God's calling me to do. And I was like, I think, I think he wants me to pursue coaching. And honestly, I had always thought I was going to be like a counselor, a psychologist, like when I did go to college, which I didn't end up graduating with any kind of degree. But when I was pursuing uh, college, it was in psychology. And that's kind of what my main goal was going to be before I stopped going. And again, I had it, I decided that I wasn't going to do counseling because I had already had my job and I was kind of established. So I didn't really want to do that, but it kind of came up for me again, because I've always had that, like helping people, like I'm very, uh, empathetic. I, really try to see people as individuals, understand people where they're coming from. And I just know that this is something that God has gifted me with. And so coaching, I had never, I hadn't really heard about it other than my business coach, but before her, I was like, coaching, no way that sounds woo woo. No, it's like new agey. I'm trying to get away from that stuff. I don't want to do that. And actually I had been getting my nails done like a couple months before I met my business coach and this, I heard this girl talking, she was like in her twenties and she was like, yeah, I'm a life coach. And the tech was talking to her and she's like, oh really? And she, it came out that she's like, yeah, I use tarot cards and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So I wanted to like throw holy water as I passed by. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah. So then I was like, I think I want to coach. And my, my coach was like, great. Well, wh who are you going to serve? And I'm like, I have no idea who I'm going to serve. She's like, well, you need to take that to the Lord. So 
that's what I did. And I just kept praying about it and asking him, I'm like, I feel like you're calling me to work with Catholic women. Okay. So then I had that, what kind of Catholic women? And I'm like, I hadn't really thought about the fact that I had been sober for so long. Like my Mm -hmm. mom and my husband always remember my sobriety date. Sometimes I'm surprised. I'm like, Oh, flowers. Thanks for what? And they'll be like, uh, your sobriety date. And I'm like, Oh yeah, thanks. And I'm embarrassed to say that because it is so important and I would not have anything that I have now had I not made that decision for myself that alcohol causes too much chaos in my life and it is not something that I can personally have in my life. But I also started to see through like friends and acquaintances that they weren't necessarily alcoholics or even having a problem, but there's definitely an uptick in how much they were drinking and they were um, just not themselves anymore or almost controlled by it. Like we would go somewhere and they would have to have a glass of wine, even though I wasn't drinking or, you know, I don't know. It wasn't like a thing or everywhere I would go, like every girl's outing, everyone would have drinks Mm -hmm. and I would have not have a drink, which is fine. I mean, I had no drama about that by that time because it was like so far away. But like, I know that there are women who are not what they wouldn't consider themselves alcoholics or having that type of problem. So they're not going to get help by going to a 12-step program. They're not going to get help by going to outpatient treatment. They're not going to get help by doing any of those things that somebody who has alcohol use disorder does, they're going to suffer in silence and think I have no willpower. I'm never going to get this. What is wrong with me? Why can't I drink like everyone else? Why am I hiding it? Why do I feel like I have to hide the bottles of wine from my husband? Why do I feel like, you know, like maybe nobody has even said anything, maybe from the outside, they're very successful in everything that they do, but internally they are just struggling because they're, they notice an uptick in the amount and frequency. And that's where God drew my heart. He gave me a heart for those women because I used to be very cut and dry of like, well, either you have a problem or you don't either you, either you have a problem or you don't either I remember being in AA and people would say like, if you wonder if you have an alcohol problem, then you do. And, you know, that's very black and white. That was one of the problems that I ended up having um, with, with AA. But I'm like, that's not necessarily true. There's a lot of gray area and there's people that are just consuming more than they want, but they can totally get a handle on it. My husband drinks, but he's a very moderate drink. He can drink one and be, and he's satisfied for the day. So our children actually get, they get to see me not drinking and notice that I'm still, I still do everything. I still go to events. I still have fun. I still go out with my friends and, you know, do all these things, but I don't consume alcohol and it's not a big deal. They see my husband having one or two at the most and seeing like it's possible to moderate um, for some people and for some people it's not. So my goal is to work with people, work with women, Catholic women to figure out what that level of sobriety is for them. So I'm never like, 
okay, you have to have a hundred days sober and then you have to do this. And then you have, that's not what we do. It's about try this. Did that work? Let's make a plan. What thoughts are you telling yourself? What results are you getting? You know, all of these types of things. And I just love it. And I feel like this, I finally feel like, okay, this is what you've been calling me to, Lord. This is what you've been equipping me for through that whole long story I just told you. <laughs> no, but, that was you know? great. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because um, one of my very first episodes, I don't even know, I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes here, but um, I talked about how you come to do what God's calling you to do. And I believe that the gold, as in like, whether you're getting paid to do it, or it's just fulfillment to you, is a combination of your gifts and your grief. And whenever I'm kind of, so I do budget coaching, I do decluttering and um, meal planning, like I help women kind of run their home. My business is called Tight Chip Mama. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's like, run your home like a tight chip. But a lot of times it's like, people are just going through the motions and they hate the job that they have. So then I'm like, okay, what can we do? that's going to maybe bring in some money. And it's funny that you say like you forgot your sobriety date because a lot of times what's very obvious to the outside person, to my client, they're like, well, doesn't everyone know how to do that? And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, not everyone knows how to moderate their alcohol. And, or like, even in my case, like, you know, everyone always said to me, you should get a declutter coach or you should charge for this. And I was like, well, doesn't everyone know how to do this? And they're like, no, Gina, like I needed you to come and do this for me. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then you, you know, I'm, we have a very similar background, you and I, like your whole story. I'm like, whoa, like I even lived in a funeral home. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> I did. And after college, I lived in a funeral home, which is like, that's a whole other crazy story. But, um, you know, and I'm very similar. Like I started drinking very young. Um, I drank a lot in college, you know, it just, it got better once I got a job and became an adult and stuff like that. I think what changed for me personally was COVID. Um, mm -hmm. There was nothing else to do. So, and we financially, I stayed home with, I have a 17 year old boy. <laughs> and um, so I stayed home with him and it was financially very hard for the first 10 years. So we never had alcohol like that. That was just not even an, an option unless somebody brought it to our house. We just, it wasn't in the budget. I was not going to waste my money on that. But as my husband's business got better, I think we both kind of saw it as a reward. Like, well, we earn this now. And then once COVID came, there was nothing else to do. So we would just sit and we would watch. We started watching Cheers from like episode oh. one <laughs> and, and we would just start drinking. And it's, it's, it's like you're saying, like, we're not falling down drunk, we're not, you know, in feeling like, oh, we need to go to AA. But I think that's where a lot of like people listening might be. And it's funny because one of my friends, she said it to me, she's something about you drink everything at the same pace. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Whether it's a cup of coffee, a glass of water or a glass of wine, I'm like down the hatch, you know, and it's just like, and I've tried a lot of different um, white knuckle techniques of like, you know, we're just not going to have it in the house. We're not going to do this at all. And um, I, maybe that's how I found you. I don't know if I started Googling or what I was doing, but um, thank God I found you. And um, 
I think for me too. So one of the other things I do with my podcast is I'll do rosary groups. So we'll do like a 5am rosary. And that's the only time that I find it very easy to not drink. And I think it's two parts for me. It's the accountability of these people have paid me to be up at 5am. So I better get up. So I'm going to bed earlier. And I think it's because it's the daily rosary. And okay. so talk to me a little bit about like, why the Catholic part of your business? Like, how do you work the faith into the healing? Yeah, so it's very important to me. The Catholic aspect of it is very important to me. Now, there are lots of great sobriety coaches out there and sobriety programs. I honestly didn't know that much about it either until I started really researching, connecting with people online. But so much of what they say reminded me, I mean, and AA is, you know, founded on Christianity and everything, but so much of what they say is similar to them as the universe or, you know, your inner knowing, your, you know, so it's very new agey. And that, you know, now there's Catholic in recovery, uh, which is a group that's kind of like AA, or sometimes they'll say it's like a supplemental to AA. And I always thought, oh, it would have been so nice to have that around when I was getting sober. Maybe my faith journey would have been different. I mean, although it is what it was supposed to be. But I always think that's so great that there is that because there's a lot of like anti-Catholic sentiment in, in AA or there can be. So I thought, well, you know, there's all these great sobriety programs out there, but none of them are Catholic, none. And there's a lot of Catholic women suffering silently and wondering about their consumption. I mean, there's men out there too. And what you described is so common. I hear it so often, you know, with COVID and boundaries, you know, you don't have to drive anywhere. You don't have time constraints. You don't have, have all of these things. So I, I really wanted it to be Catholic because first of all, God asked me to, that's what he's been calling me to for the past four years is to really um, do something that are, that is going to encourage, equip and evangelize Catholics. And so I mean, how beautiful is our Catholic faith? I love it so much. I love being Catholic so much. And we have such a treasure. Uh, we have saints we can call upon. You know, there's St. Augustine, there's St. Mary Magdalene, who understand our vices and what it means to be caught up in that. Yet there's so much hope looking at them and seeing how they went from where they were to where they, I mean, how revered they are and admired for, you know, their work and their faith and their love. And so, you know, and we have prayers and I'm not saying you can just pray it away, but I am saying, you know, I'm trying to equip women so that they can hear God's vo voice more clearly so that they understand that God loves them where they are. They are beloved daughter of God. And I think a lot of, um, you know, alcohol is a symptom of something deeper, like you were, like you were saying, um, you know, we have the, we have our past, we have things that are happening now, you know, it can be really hard if we think that we have to do it all or put on a certain face or 
be social when we don't feel social. So people drink for a variety of reasons. There's all different reasons. Sometimes it's because we're bored. Sometimes it's like what you said. Oftentimes it's what you said, like a reward. Like I deserve this. I got through this. Or all day they'll be thinking, if I can just get through this, I can have my wine at the end. If I can just get the kids to bed quickly, I can have my wine at the end. Um, But I really want women to understand that they're made for so much more than that, right? Pope Benedict the 16th told us like, you were not made for comfort. You were made for greatness and greatness doesn't have to be big. It just means that you do what God is asking you to do because not because he knows that that is what is going to make you feel fulfilled. That's going to give you the fulfilled life. Mm-hmm. And I know from experience how detaching opens me up to more. A lot of times I'll think, oh, well, I'm, I can't do that, or I'm not going to eat sugar, or I'm not going to watch TV. I I detached from TV, and that was probably one of the hardest things, but it was like a slow roll. And it's not like I never watched TV, but I, you know, being a kid in the 80s, a latchkey kid, like the TV was my babysitter. So mm-hmm. um, it was something that I depended on. I remember just like scrolling mindlessly through TV shows being like, what can I watch now? What can I, you know, I was so desensitized too to like, things that I would just watch things and be like, why am I watching this? This is not like fulfilling or good or, you know, mm-hmm. it causes me anxiety, all those true crime shows and things yeah. like that. <laughs> why am I doing this? But then I realized once I detached from it, like I wasn't just, I wasn't giving something up. I was gaining so much more. I was gaining my time back. I was gaining conversations with my husband. I was gaining time to write and to read and to do all these things. So I think it that's part of why it's so important to me that it's a Catholic aspect because I just want them to know that the more they detach, your the name of your podcast is perfect, pruning to prosper, right? We're pruning yeah. ourselves. We're pruning ourselves of those things that are not serving us. And alcohol is certainly one of those things. If you look at it and you're like, is it taking more than it's giving? Mm-hmm. Then it needs to go or it needs to at least be put in its box so that, you know, you are calling the shots. You are in control. You know, you can say, I'm only going to have a glass or two of wine when my husband and I go out to eat mm-hmm. or we're at an event or, you know, making those decisions. And if you make that decision and you're like, I made that decision, but then I went home and had a bottle of wine, then maybe it's, maybe it's not serving you at all. Maybe it's causing, maybe it's too hard to moderate. Maybe trying to moderate is causing too much chaos. And that's when sometimes my clients decide, like, I can't have it at all. It's like all or nothing, but that Mm -hmm. doesn't, that does not have to be for everyone. And that's why I work with women is to help them look at it, not to judge themselves or to be in shame, but to be very curious about it and say, mm-hmm. okay, this is what I did. I'm not going to be mad about myself, be mad about it or like beat myself up, but I am going to use this as a tool for future planning and to figure out what my triggers are, why I'm having such a hard time saying no to myself and what I can do to make it easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all that resonates with me. And I think for me, 
a big factor was my husband, you know, because it was something we did together at the end of the day, it was our reward. And, you know, when I have my rosary groups growing on, he, he's very supportive of like, okay, she's not drinking because she has to get up early. Um, but I asked him for this for 2024. I said, I really need you to be on board with me because it can't be one of us doing this, not the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm very blessed that my husband is also always on a journey to become the best version God is calling him to be, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm very blessed with that. Um, so we've decided for 2024, we're only drinking socially. So like mm -hmm. whether if we have people over or if we're out, mm -hmm. that we're not going to just have it sitting around doing nothing. And like you said, like it, like, I don't, I don't struggle so much with the shame in the mm -hmm. next morning, but I just get annoyed at myself. And I don't know right. what you call that. Maybe that is shame. I don't know. But I know immediately it makes me hit the snooze button. It So then I don't get up and say my rosary. And when I don't pray my rosary, I am a bear to live with. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, ideally I'd love to do some sort of exercise or at least get the dog and walk outside with the dog. And none of that's happening if mm -hmm. I didn't, because you're not sleeping well, you know? Mm -hmm. And we end up binge watching stupid shows. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, ah. So like last night was our first night of 2024 and I ended up reading a book. My husband read a book um, and then we did watch like a show, but that was it. And then he's like, are you ready for bed? And I was like, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was good. So we're one day in. <laughs> Yay! Just, but I'll, but I'll be honest, around 7.30, I thought, which friend could I call and invite <laughs> myself to her house because that would qualify <laughs> as social. <laughs> <laughs> or then I thought, should I invite some friends over to kill to kill this bottle of champagne that we have for New Year's Eve? Like, there's still a, like a bottle up there that's open. So I'm like, that's kind of a waste if we just let that fizzle out. But I got through the night. I was like, I don't need to call any friends. I don't need to drag anybody down here with me. Um, and I love, and I hope that the listener can feel how empathetic you are. Like, I'm not getting one ounce of judgment from you, and I'm sure the women that you work with are feeling that too. Um, that's one of the things that I'm immediately loving about you. Um, cause I do think that we have enough shame, you know, if mm -hmm. you don't need this. And I love that, that you just told the story about how like God can work with anything. Like if, if we feel like we're broken or we're not good enough, even to set foot in a Catholic church, like he's like, no, come back. Mm -hmm. it, like he's always calling us back. And I think that if anyone's listening and they feel like you felt that I would encourage them to come back to church. Um, were there any tools that you use to kind of get that clarity? Like, do you pray the rosary or like, what's your faith look like on the home front? Yeah. So as I was starting my journey, just kind of to figure out um, why I'm Catholic, mm -hmm. <laughs> I first got this book by, I found a book by Liz Kelly called like 80 things I love about being Catholic or something oh. similar to that. I can't remember. Okay. That's probably uh, not the exact title or 50 things. It was so good. I loved it. And so I went through it because I was really thinking, wow, I just feel like being Catholic 
gets a bad rap. People think we're all like very serious and no fun and we don't have all these things. And so I just kind of set out on a journey and I just started being like, you know what? I'm going to be a joy-filled Catholic. I'm going to be filled with joy and I want people to look at me and be like, huh, maybe being Catholic isn't so bad or <laughs> maybe being Catholic is is fun. Like you can have it be fun. And so then I actually was in a Bible study with a woman who I respect greatly. She's Protestant. And so it was very helpful because it was in a room of mostly Catholics, but she was leading it. And um, she's very, she's, she's very respectful of the Catholic faith. Yet, of course, she puts in her own, like, uh, tradition. And she was, I kind of felt like she was trying to be, uh, I don't know if she was trying to draw anyone out of the church, but I think it was just accidental just because of that's how she is. And that's her theology. And every time I would be in her Bible study, I would go home and like pour over the Bible and I would be looking up on Catholic answers. Well, what does the church say about Mary? What is, you know, so all of a sudden I had this fire in me to know as much as I could to defend the faith if I needed to. So I spent hours all day long. I would be listening to Catholic answers just over and over and over. I would watch EWTN and my favorite show was The Journey Home. I loved it. I loved seeing how people could go from being an atheist or a Baptist or, or Jewish or whatever they were and how they came to be Catholic. Like, I could not get enough of it. I watched tons of it. And I watched a lot of other shows on EWTN too. And it was, um, and Catholics like me who were reverts, you know, it, I loved those stories as well. So I just was trying to consume as much information as possible on, on my journey. So that's, and then I discovered like the relevant radio app and I, uh, would listen to the rosary on that. I will admit I'm not the best at praying the rosary, although as a family, currently we do uh, pray the rosary every Sunday as a family. Uh, we listen to Father Mike Schmidt's homilies on Sunday nights as a family because I feel like his homilies speak so well to my well, I mean, to all of us, but also to my kids so they can understand it a little bit mm -hmm. more, understand the gospel and then the way he explains it. I like Bible in a year and um, I'm starting catechism in a year this year. So, and I am trying to commit, I'm really going to commit to praying the rosary daily because I know there's so many fruits that come from that, especially when I have gone through periods where I've prayed it daily. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just being in scripture and just, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's good. I think you have to fill your head with these good things. And mm -hmm. so I had never heard of the seven sorrows rosary. And one of the women that was in my Lenten rosary group, where we just played the regular rosary, like we all know. Um, so she mailed me a seven sorrows rosary. And then September was the month of Our Lady of Sorrows. So we did a 5 a.m seven sorrows rosary and one of the promises of that rosary is that sins will be revealed to you or like things that god mm -hmm. wants you to work on and it is amazing 
And I think that's when like, so I got some clarity on one thing that I was like, okay, it's not really anything I would have thought of as a sin, but it's kind of like God, like pruning away, like, okay, I need you to work on this. And the drinking is another thing that was like, Mm -hmm. all right, Gina, I'm going to need you to be a little bit more serious about this, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, so maybe that's how I found you. I'm not sure, but, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So tell us about, um, when a woman reaches out to you, what is the process? Like, how do you meet with them? What's, what kind of coaching offers do you have? Yeah, so I have a few different ways that women can connect with me. So there's, uh, when when a woman approaches me for one-on-one coaching, first of all, you know, coaching's not for everyone. And so I like to do a preliminary call, a discovery call, a, a let's chat type of call, just so that I can get the scope of where she's at and what, and if I can help her, if coaching is going to be helpful. Okay. So the difference between one of the main differences between counseling and coaching is that with coaching, we're, we're going from where they are right now and moving forward. I'm not going to say, tell me about your childhood trauma. Tell me, let's try to fix these relationships with it. You know, if it comes up in coaching and that's an obstacle, for sure, we will address that if it's within my scope. But I don't, um, you know, mental health issues, that's not my domain. That's for a, a counselor. We are just goal setting and figuring out how to go from where they are to where they want to be. And so during that discovery call, that's kind of what we talk a little bit about too. Like, what what does your drinking look like now? Why is it bothering you? Um, how What have you tried? What has worked? What hasn't worked? You know, just all of those types of things. If you worked with me, what would your life look like in 12 months? Like, what would it be like? No, I usually, a lot of times, first I, I work with women for 12 weeks. If sometimes they hire me for longer than that, and I'm, I'm trained as a life coach also. So when I coach women on sobriety, it's not necessarily always sobriety. It's more about the obstacles that are keeping them stuck and keeping them um, continually turning back to alcohol. So we try to clear those things up and um, address those issues as they, as they come up. And then that just kind of helps them on their journey to drink less, right? So it could be devising a protocol for, okay, I'm going over to Aunt Sarah's house. There's always drinks at Aunt Sarah's house. What do I need to do? What kind of plan do I need to put in place? And for a coach, it's not me telling them what to do because I don't live their life. I don't know their family. So I'm asking questions that are helping them get clarity and I'm getting clarity in the process. And then we device action steps for them that they can take um, to meet those goals. And then I, a lot of women come to me through, I just created a five-day sacred sobriety kickstart. It's just five days. I'm actually going to be redoing them because I put it out really fast uh, in, because I wanted it out ahead of like the holidays, ahead of Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot I want to redo and rework within that, but it's pretty good. It goes over, I have a, a method called the Pearl Method where we begin and end with prayer. And it's just 
basically about seeing what your thoughts are, what results they're producing, what are the facts of the situation, and then reframing those thoughts to produce the feelings that are going to get you the results that you want. And I go through that in that five-day kickstart. I also have uh, podcast episodes on that as well. And then I just created uh, the Sacred Sobriety Lab, and this is more intense. It begins with some preparation pages and then a novena to the Holy Spirit, inviting the Holy Spirit into the pro- into the process. And the reason why I've called these sacred is because I don't know about you, but I can do anything for God. So if it's Lent, I am like on it. Like I am so good at keeping my Lenten commitments that mm-hmm. it's not even funny. But once Lent is over, it's like done. But this lab and the kickstart are sacred because I want them to offer it up to God, dedicate it to God, realize that this is a holy work, that they are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And so that is what we start out with, asking the Holy Spirit into the entire process to help strengthen our spiritual gifts, which I'm also very big and passionate about. And I talk a lot about And then like module one, we go in again, that's kind of managing your mind. I talk about why our brains are trying to keep us safe and keep us comfortable and and all of that. And then I talk about the Pearl Method and some other things. And then the next um, module is really focused on spiritual gifts, how we're equipped and, you know, ways to kind of figure out are we using our spiritual gifts? What are those? I have developed a spiritual gifts assessment that I have in there too, that people can take. And then we, um, then I have some different things for that as well. We talk about your why we talk about, um, just how to in the, in the fifth module, it's called, this is not the end, or this is only the beginning. And that is because it's not the end. And I don't want them to see this as a challenge. Mm-hmm. I want them to see it as a lifestyle change. And so in there, we talk about planning, we talk about protocols, we talk about bringing it to the Lord and all the different things that they can do uh, to help them plan and prepare and reassess because, you know, we fall back, get back on. So, and not seeing that as like, I've derailed everything. So now I'm not going to do it anymore. You know, it's not, doesn't have to be like that. It can be like, you know, I'm starting again and that that's okay. And then I have bonuses and stuff. The great thing with the lab is that they have lifetime access to it. So, and any updates I make or additions I make are in there as well. And the same with the kickstart, that's just an email, but they can always go back to that. So mm-hmm. that's how people connect with me. It usually gets them on my email list. I sent, I'm not very good about sending out emails, but I'm trying to get better better at that. My focus has been my podcast because (laughs) I really felt God saying, you need to stop planning and you need to stop. You need to start talking because people need to hear what I'm, you know, what I need you to tell them. And so that's, that's been my main focus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love, I love podcasts. I think people either (laughs) are addicted to them or they're like, I never heard of it. How do you get on them? Yeah. (laughs) But I, I know personally, like I, that's my first thing is like go to a podcast or an yeah. audible book or something just because I'm a mom, I'm like, I'm constantly doing stuff. Um, so that's my first go-to, but um, yeah. So if they worked with you one-to-one, it's like a 12 week commitment 
And then how mm -hmm. often would they meet with you in that 12 week period? I, I think for best results, we meet once a week for six weeks. And then after that, every other week, just mm -hmm. to kind of fine tune things. Um, again, after that, I usually give them the option. I'll just give them a link and they can um, sign up for one-off ones anytime that they want, or if they want to recommit to another 12 weeks, that's fine. The goal of coaching isn't to be coached forever. The goal of coaching is to teach you how to coach yourself. So mm -hmm. that's, if I'm doing my job right, then you'll be able to do that. Now, that being said, we coaches always have coaching. So, you know, you're, there's always something that can come up that maybe you're like, I really need an outside opinion on this. I really need to be coached through this situation. It's really difficult right now. And that's, that's great too. And, you know, there's all kinds of coaches for all different situations and, and things like that. But yeah. Yeah. That's I, the goal. I agree. <laughs> Someone once asked me like, well, what, what is your, like, don't you want to have a client for life? Cause I guess I said something like how many clients I had like right now. And they're like, well, don't you have clients for life? And I'm like, I hope not. <laughs> like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my goal is to like, get them to be able to like declutter on their own and like fly yeah. little chickadee, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I agree too. Like, I'm always like, there might be people that I haven't worked with them in a few years. And they're like, you know what, Gina, like we had twins are a big thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I have a lot of clients that had twins and like the clutter just came in and it's like, they yeah. never got caught up. So they'll be like, Oh, we had like a birthday for the twins. And like, I'm just overwhelmed. Can you come and help? Okay, sure. You know, so mm -hmm. those are things, but um, yeah, that sounds really good. And I'm going to have all of that linked in the show notes for everyone to be able to find you and work with you. Cause I think it sounds amazing. And, you know, I really encourage people last January, I think I did an episode where I really talked about like investing in yourselves and mm -hmm. what better investment than to help yourself get this under control than, you know, to work with Christy. And, um, again, I don't, I don't think it has to be what we imagine someone going to AA, you know, it can just be like, when I go out with my girlfriends, it's too much. I feel like in the morning, I don't remember what I said, or I, I was embarrassed, you know, like it could be all sorts of things that would um, cause a woman to kind of pause and say, I need to kind of change this behavior. So um, I would encourage anyone that's listening to invest in this for the new year. Um, and I think eliminating or reducing the alcohol is again, going to free you up to do what God's calling you to do. It's like, that's kind of like my tagline, like let's prune away the stuff standing between yeah. you and the woman that God is calling you to be. And yeah. alcohol is definitely something that um, I'm working to reduce significantly because I feel like he's like, all right, Gina, it's time to get serious. And I'm going to need you to do the next thing now, you know? So mm -hmm. I don't know. All right, Christy, anything you want to close with or any final? Um, no, I just, I'm on Instagram. I kind of have fun over there. So if anyone wants mm -hmm. to follow me over there, it's my handle is the Catholic sobriety coach. My website is the Catholic sobriety coach.com. And if you want to learn more about the sacred sobriety lab, that's sacred sobriety lab.com. And don't forget my podcast. That's like the main thing. I yeah. love my podcast, the Catholic <laughs> <Everyone>, Sobriety Podcast. <laughs> yeah. And share it with a friend. You know, if you have a yeah. friend that um, I think 
a lot of this, this is easier if you have a friend that you're going to go through oh, for sure. um, and do this with. So yeah, share this episode with a friend, share Christie's podcast with a friend and um, remember like keeping God at the, the root of all of this for the strength to uh, do what he's calling you to do. Yeah. All right, and I see. think I just want to say one more thing because I think that it's similar in like what you do. And I tell my family this when we're decluttering or like trying to do something, I'm like, it has to get messy before it gets clean, right? You have to pull all that stuff out and look at it. So don't be afraid of really being honest and looking at it, whether that's in a journal, you know, in prayer uh, with a friend, a trusted friend, your spouse, or a coach, you know, you, you definitely need that support and to have a support person and some accountability that will just increase your, um, chances of, of succeeding and doing what you want to do, but really just pulling it out and just be so super, super honest with yourself. You will not regret it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I love that it doesn't have to be all or nothing. Mm -hmm. I love that you're working with women that like, they just want to reduce it. Or like you said, be in control of it instead of it being in control of them. So I really love that message. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. I know I got a lot out of this episode and um, I hope that my listeners have as well. So um, I encourage you all again to listen to Christy's podcast and to reach out to her if you want some one-on-one coaching. Thanks so much, Christy. Thank you, Gina.